Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart. Welcome to episode 30. This episode, we are talking to Sarah Partridge of Orchard Barn. Let's read a little bit about Orchard Barn. So Orchard Barn is a community interest company and it uses low-tech and traditional construction projects as a way of bringing people together to learn. They have brought back to life the Orchard Barn and now they are working on a 1580 Suffolk Longhouse. Uh, If you check out their website, which is orchardbarn.org.uk, you can see a rendering of what that's going to look like. And goodness, it looks beautiful. So the work that Sarah does is to bring people together to teach people uh, the skills of traditional building, to teach way more than that, different craft courses, earth skills, timber work. So keeping those those traditions alive and, and very much living them. Um, the site is completely off grid. Uh, there is a small amount of power from solar, uh, no water, and they collect all their rainwater. So people coming to, to visit are really having to, to really dial back their, their sort of uh, luxuries that we're afforded in this sort of modern life. And I think it's, uh, it's a really humbling experience um, to realise just just what we've got and what we take for granted. So yes, Sarah can describe all of that far better than me. Uh, So if this is your first time, uh, firstly, I'd like to say welcome. I would recommend that you subscribe in whatever media player you use. And if you enjoy this episode, I'd say head back, listen to the Clay Plastering in Japan, Natural Builder Question Time with Will Stanix, uh, which is episode 25 and 24. Earth Floors, that's definitely worth a listen. Episode 23. Goodness, I could just name most of these. Yeah, there's a a whole host for you to listen to, and I really hope you enjoy them. You can, of course, listen to all of those on www.buildingsustainabilitypodcast.com. One quick thing to say before I leave you to the episode is that I'm going on a holiday for three weeks. I'm heading off to cycle in an undecided route. Um, I have packed my audio recorder and I did think when I recorded the intro to this that I would say which direction I was going in and make a shout out for people to talk to on the way. But I haven't got a clue. I think the excitement for me is uh, in the journey rather than destination. And so I've just packed up my stuff got my bivy bag uh i'm gonna gonna see where the wind takes me uh so uh, yeah who knows maybe i'll uh i'll bumble into some uh some nice people to record some interviews what that does mean is that uh the next episode will be slightly delayed we release episodes every two weeks um so this one will we'll probably skip one right i'll be back at the end Enjoy this chat with Sarah Partridge of Orchard Barn. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Orchard Barn is a restoration project with a big difference. It's run by a community interest company that was co-founded by myself 13 years ago in 2007. Mm -hmm. And phase one was always going to be the restoration of the main barn, which we've done and we've involved over 3,000 people. So we're, we're reaching out to the local community in East Anglia, but also much further afield. Phase two is much bigger, and it is the reinstatement of this 1580 longhouse. So we're very excited to be getting on with that at the moment. I'm interested by your, your choice of words there, reinstatement. I mean, I guess renovation or restoration is used a lot. What, what, how do you see the, the sort of difference in what you're doing? Okay, well, this would be an extreme restoration because the longhouse was last lived in in the 1930s but fell over in the 1960s. Right. So by the time I got to have a little look at it, it was a pile of very ancient timbers clad in brambles with trees growing through it. So <laughs> it's not so much a restoration as a reinstatement, although we are setting out to repair as much as we can of the old timbers. So the way you're, you're doing this is... is... Uh, maybe somewhat unique uh, you haven't hired in a load of builders to come and do this uh, what, what is it that you're doing well Jeffrey we are right at the very beginning because we're a community interest company wanted to involve local people so homeowners um, professionals we started running a series of courses in timber frame repairs because we had the original barn to repair we hired a professional timber framer who was, who he is, the best teacher ever and who had a whole range of very old traditional carpentry tools mm -hmm. and was delighted to show people how to use them um, whilst at the same time uh, doing the repairs that needed to be done. So that first year we involved 22 people in the repairs to the, to the main barn. But what had to happen before that was that we had to, well, I had to go out and find the trees and then I had to find a miller and that can only really be done in the winter. So there's a, there's a sort of a natural time cycle or seasonality around this. So we involve the local people, use local trees, use local um, traditional carpentry methods. Excellent. Very much like for like, as it would have been done three or four or 500 years ago <laughs> um yes i mean that's uh, the very much the, the tradition isn't it certainly in terms of construction when there's a, a big project pulling pulling your neighbors in and the, the local community i'm just thinking that i need to just revise what i said a little bit because sure. we we use a local miller um, or we use a local volunteer group actually from ipswich greenway is absolutely brilliant mm -hmm. but we've also done some hand conversion of more unusual shaped timbers so that's hewing and hand sawing and um, so we, we've done we've done a mixture of both and yeah. are doing a mixture of both and we'll be doing a mixture of both <laughs> so there's more more timber work to come oh yes <laughs> <laughs> we're currently looking at raising a bay of the longhouse um, on the on the lime crete and uh, Tudor bricks that we've been reinstating and repairing mm -hmm. this last month, we we need to wait for the lime to go off. So this weather we've got at the moment is perfect. It's drying the lime. We've been hot liming, and it needs time. Time's the secret ingredient here. Really, is just not being too much of a hurry. Well, that that is it. That's I think uh, certainly something that's that's a more modern construction uh, thought is that we need to we need to hurry everything needs to be done as quickly as possible and uh, often at the the expense of material selection or quality or yeah any of the things that make make a barn you know stand up for a, for a long time indeed and in fact a lot of what we're doing here is um we're, we're trying to counteract consumerism mm -hmm. and showing that it can be done this way it takes longer but the outcomes of skills development and people suddenly you know, really begin being aware of 
how traditional buildings were built and working together. Um, and of course, we've got an off-grid site, so that in itself is, is an education. So it's all about environmental education and involving people. Yeah, it's great. It really uh, yeah, brings all of those together. And I think uh, what you do is, is really, really great. So first of all, what, what's the barn? What's the sort of history of the, the barns? The newer barn is an agricultural barn. So it's a winnowing or a threshing barn. Mm -hmm. It was designed to channel the wind. The wind here comes from the southwest and the barn was orientated so that with the barn doors open and a porch, it could channel the wind through it. So when they needed to winnow the grain, they would throw the grain up and the chaff would be blown out the back porch. So our ancestors knew a thing or two about prevailing winds and how to really harness them to make their work easier. So, so the, the newer barn that is now our HQ, our meeting room, tool shed, workshop area, that um, I've completely lost your question. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know the, 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 the sort of heritage of the, the buildings, um, what, what maybe they've been used for or how they've been uh, adapted over the years or? Okay, so the, the main barn has been used in an agricultural context for several hundred years. The longhouse has a slightly different history. And as we, as we literally uncover the foundations, we are learning more about what it was originally built for and have some very good guesses as to who built it. Um, it was completely over-engineered. It was built by somebody who really wanted to show off because the timbers are super large and the building historian has really pointed to the fact that somebody built this um, and, and they had a lot of money. Right. So I have a few guesses around who that was, given the local history in the area and what, what was happening just around 1560, um, which links us to a very important building in London. So I can could tell you some of that story if you like yes please do okay so in about well it was henry the eighth he gave some land to thomas gresham who was a city trader and he he gave him some woods so the city trader uh, noticed that london didn't have a covered stock exchange so he thought right i've got some really good woods in mid suffolk and he commissioned 200 carpenters to come to the adjacent village and frame him his London Stock Exchange, which they mm. did. And they they took the Stock Exchange to London, they took it down the river, and they put it up in London. And all of that's really well documented. Mm. But what we're finding is some really oversized timbers that I think may have been left over because I think he would have only wanted the best timbers he was showing off. Mm-hmm. And so he built um, or commissioned this this longhouse to be built. Now, I can't prove that. It's all circumstantial, but it does fit because he did have three manor houses in Ringshaw uh-huh. and he brought hunting parties to the area. And I think what we're reinstating is somewhere that he, he entertained them in. That's right. the history that I think we are reinstating. The, the building fantastic does the uh, I, I can't really think what the stock exchange is like is it is that still a standing structure or is that a... um i'm afraid it burnt down in the fire of london of course yes there is a gresham street and they did reinstate it but not the not the one from suffolk not the timber frame oak one from suffolk sure is it the same design or is it just a new a new mm, thing. I don't think I can tell you that either. Right. Sorry. No, nope, that's fine. <laughs> the first one was opened by um, I've, I've, I've forgotten. Um, it was whoever the monarch was at the, in about fifteen sixties uh, ish. Okay. Presumably just after Henry VIII. Yes, I think it was Queen Elizabeth the first. Okay. Who opened the first London Stock Exchange? So we have a very very strong line of timber framing in the area using the local trees and in fact our roof 
before the main barn, I was I had the privilege of choosing the trees from the same wood that um, the London Stock Exchange was also framed from. Really? Oh, that's lovely. So it was the same wood, but the trees that we chose were 50-year-old saplings. Okay. They, there was some thinning needed to be done in the wood, and the farmer said, well, just go, go and choose your, <laughs> your trees for your for your roof frame so I, I stood there and I chose them and he, he very kindly delivered them on a tractor and trailer yeah and it then became apparent that they weren't entirely straight <laughs> of course so yeah if you look at the roof timbers in the main barn we we literally cut them lengthways and the back timber the back rafter mirrors the front rafter in its uh, gentle curve right because it's one the other half of it one tree yeah yes okay oh lovely that sounds delightful and what what trees are you using what species we use oak well predominantly oak the original barn was elm um we do have a lot of elm regenerating on site mm-hmm. and we are part of what was called what is called nine elms estate So elm is uh, an important tree to us, but of course you can't get very large elm anymore because of Dutch elm, because of the importing of uh, trees, non-native trees, and that's what impacted on our elm trees. Mm -hmm. But we we use green oak. Lovely. Um, A a fair fair substitute. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) I mean, we have used some small dimension elm in the round in our craft barn our cart lodge okay that's another story <laughs> should we go into that one we could do we tell could me do. a little about that while we're on the trees let's let's well talk. it all begins with the trees jeffrey yeah <laughs> um so the craft barn my first um my first meeting with a key component of the craft barn was well 13 years ago it was a vernacular y post so it was probably a victorian cart lodge and they'd literally chosen a an elm post that sort of went up straight and then created a v so there was a natural crook and it was an earth fast post and that means it was dug in the ground um, and in the natural crook they were that was supporting the wall plate that then supported the roof and so from that we we have we designed and we were able to source small um small elm and reinstate that building as well okay so was there the cracked elm uh sort of main posts were they still in existence or were they were they gone there was one and it's in our museum we have a, a little museum of heritage building materials that we've been gifted and that we've kept. It, was, uh, it wasn't fit for purpose, but mm-hmm. it did give us the design for, for the reinstated craft barn. Aha. And was this the, the first project you, you undertook on the, the site? Mm, no. Um, the first project was the repairs to the main barn. Okay. Um, and then we got carried away <laughs> because it had a tin roof and the, the original pitch roof had gone. It would have been thatched. And mm-hmm. um, it did have a tin roof with much shallower rafter um, pitch. So we got listed building consent to reinstate the original pitch roof on on the main barn yeah um and we did that in 2010 and that's where we used the oak trees that i that i just told you the story about so the main barn came first then the craft barn and now the longhouse now you're into the the big challenge so so how long have you been at this like how yeah, when when did the first first work start? Or well, it probably starts before that. When did you come across the the site? How did you get involved? Oh, how far do you want to go back? 
Um, <laughs> I first saw the site in 2007. It was a cold, wet, windy, almost dark night. And that was when I first peered at what, well, you couldn't see much of the barn. It was a completely overgrown site that had been um, neglected. The brambles uh, were taller than I was, and we had something called structural ivy holding bits of barn up. So that was my first viewing. But I think it was the trees that really kind of spoke to me. Yeah. And were you were you looking for a, a project, or were you looking? Why were you Why were you there? I, well, I I was a yoga teacher at the time. Okay. And I was I was looking to move my business in the adjacent parish of Often, mm-hmm. and I was looking for somewhere that I could develop as a yoga centre. Um, the project had another idea. When we started clearing and cutting back, and we just used hand tools for the clearing back, and we made lots of compost on the way. But my students and my neighbours and my friends and family all wanted to come and get involved in the project. And it soon became very clear that it was much bigger than a yoga studio centre. And that's when we formed the community interest company that has run the project ever since. Why did you go for a, a community interest company? That's a, a type of social enterprise, isn't it? We are a social enterprise. Well, we could have gone for charity status, but that didn't feel quite right. A community interest company involves the local community and it has social objectives. Mm-hmm. So we have we have very strong environmental objectives but we also have social and heritage objectives and it felt like the right legal structure to enable us to both trade but also receive small grants. Yeah, best of both worlds and then with that that strong uh, community tie. Indeed. Yeah, so uh, you've mentioned some of your objectives there. I wonder if you uh, if you could tell us what they are. Off the top of my head, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I work for a social enterprise as well, and uh, and Ben, the, the guys who set it up, he, uh, if you say what are the objectives, he can just reel them off at you, uh, like he said them a million times. So I thought I'd, I'd just ask in case. <laughs> well, they involve heritage training projects. They involve developing community. They. The, the last one, the last objective is all about developing a more holistic interact, interaction with nature. Mm. So the way in which I like to describe this is that we work collaboratively with nature. We don't, um, we don't try to have power over nature. And to that end, we have blackbirds that nest in the main barn. Uh-huh. Part of the site is deliberately wild. We are a permaculture land learning centre. Okay. Got to mention that. That's not much seen on the website, but we are. Um, and it was with design principles, permaculture design principles, that we we started operating, and we we work with. Excellent. I like that you're you're not kicking the the birds out. They are part of the space as much as you are. So that's really wonderful. Um, so your, your background was a yoga instructor. I get, I'm interested in that, that transition, uh, between being a yoga instructor and, um, what you're doing now. And yeah, I guess how, how that came about. Okay. So I probably need to go back a bit further Mm -hmm. to just put myself into context a little bit. I was born in a Tudor timber frame building my mum was the local history recorder and for as long as I could remember she was out recording timber frame buildings so my first restoration project was at the age of 17 Uh, I then progressed to become an organic smallholder and then trained to become a yoga teacher and 
I like to think of yoga as being far more inclusive and encompassing and holistic than than the the the, the postures. So mm-hmm. we are we when we're doing a course here or I'm working with volunteers because it really is a very strong volunteer project, we are practicing a mindfulness in how we are building, how we're working with the land. So I think the yoga is still there. It's still embodied and embedded in the core of the project. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't know that about you, that you're, you'd started off as a in heritage restoration. I might not have called it heritage restoration. Well, at the time. I was looking for a, a place for me and my, for me to live. Yeah. Okay. Well, what was it that made you want to, to change the, the sort of idea from yoga studio into into well what it's become now well we operate on a real shoestring and that's our biggest strength because in the early days if we'd been able to get a big pot of money which we didn't we would probably have got a whole bunch of builders in and we wouldn't have had the level of ownership that we have. We we had to get hands-on with the project. We had to get hands-on with the heritage and allow the building to inform us about what it needed because, because we didn't have the money. Yeah. And so going out and sourcing the trees in the local woods and digging our own daub and in fact we've got a new pond because we needed to source the clay is our biggest strength and it has taught us the site and the buildings have taught us so much about the way our ancestors used to build i mean vernacular buildings are the landscape reconfigured they really are and that's the biggest thing that I really want to get across is actually our heritage buildings came from a living environment and potentially could do again. Um, that's a wonderful phrase. I really like that, that vernacular buildings are, are the landscape reconfigured. That, that beautifully uh, sums up how I feel about, well, how I think all buildings should be created. That's a really lovely image. Good. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned um, that you are off grid, and was that was that a, a choice, or was that one that, thing that's come through sort of necessity as well? It was a very conscious choice to to be off grid because our overarching objective is environmental education. And when you have to engage with a water-free compost toilet that actively harvests urine for the compost heap, then you know everybody mm-hmm. has to use the toilet if they're on a course here or if they're a volunteer here. And it's a really big learning. Um, and if you're watering the garden or if you're wanting to make some hotline, which is what I did earlier, then where does the water come from? Well, it comes off the roof and it goes down with, you know, into the IBC tank and then we use it. So it's about that interaction with the very basic resources. And, uh, and yeah. water, I think, generally speaking, is being used um, far more quickly than it's going down into the underground reservoirs. And I'm a firm believer that we really need to start harvesting rainwater and actively using it so i now live on site in a tiny house that isn't quite complete um and my biggest challenge is you know is the potable quality water and so what do you do for that well it comes off my roof i use um i've got two filters and a, a berkey filter and a charcoal filter and i'm on, I'm on a big mm. learning with it so i boil what i need for drinking and it is just for me, so I can do yeah. that. But I'm not advocating our volunteers or trainees drink that water. They, Everybody has to bring their own drinking water onto site. Um, when you carry water around, you use it wisely. And that's all part of the, the rationale behind it. Yeah. Uh, recently, I, I stayed in a, a house 
uh, uh, it's a straw bale house, a lovely one down in Devon. Um, but just before I arrived, uh, their borehole uh, collapsed and sort of took the pump with it. And so I was living without any water. And I mean, I'm pretty conscious of water anyway, because I live on a boat and I have to fill up my tank. Um, but I really, really became conscious, you know, when it was, I could see the, the level of the, the water in my bottle, you know, going down every time I brush my teeth. Um, yeah, it makes you really, really conscious. And it's, uh, it's incredible to see just how frivolous you can be until it's sort of really pointed out. To Absolutely. You and that's why we're doing what we're doing. It hasn't been easy not having mains water. Energy is also, you know, it's used frivolously. And it's only when you've got solar panels and charge controller and an inverter and you're very, well, I'm very aware of using energy wisely because I'm watching it coming in and I'm watching it pretty much going out. And that's why, sorry, we, we made the conscious, um, conscious choice that we would use traditional approaches for the, for the framing and for making the earth walls and clay lump block and all of that. We use human energy and it's a really good gym, green gym workout. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I was just uh, thinking that, you know, it's, if there is readily available power on there, the, the temptation to use use it you know use a, a big mixing machine or a, a you know some sort of uh sort of timber cutting machine the the sort of temptation is is definitely there and it's the thing that i've come across in my buildings that you, know, you have to actively sort of stop yourself because you sort of get drawn into that idea of getting mm. things done um so to to deliberately take that out of the equation is is a really excellent uh would keep keeps you from breaking your own rules even you know our very first course in 2009 was such a delight we had six participants and the teacher and we were doing timber frame repairs and they weren't the participants weren't wearing breathing masks or headgear they were having conversations as they worked they were using hand saws and they were enjoying the bird song and that that meant we were building the community that we wanted to be building because we didn't have the power tools. And they were discovering how hard manky old oak um, can be when you have to cut it with a handsaw. Big learning there. Yeah, really. It gives you an appreciation for uh, just what that that tree is. Um, Certainly, if you compare that to cutting a, a softwood, you, you understand why they're the, the go-to, uh, or they were the go-to sort of building material. Indeed. So what else about living off-grid? I imagine people are thinking uh, about, so the power, like what do you, your day-to-day power comes from solar? In, in my tiny house, my, my temporary tiny house, yes, uh, 500 watts of solar panels. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so that's a, a fairly limited supply. Um, what about on on site for, for people uh, who are coming to do a course volunteering? Well, we'll use one of the leisure batteries for a PowerPoint presentation in the main barn. We used to have a bicycle power <laughs> generator um, but that was so noisy that we couldn't hear the speaker over it. Thinking of reinstating it, actually, because there's a lot of people wanting to do green gym now. So thinking of putting that in one of the uh, more airy outbuildings and inviting people to power up our leisure battery by using it. Brilliant. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. 
so you've got compost loo and and that's uh I, what i thought when you mentioned that i remembered back to the first time i did a course out in in oregon and we were using the the bucket and chuck it method of of compost loos uh which is you know no more glamorous than uh pooing in a bucket and and it, it was that re sort of connection with a thing that that was up to that point i'd been you know flushing away and not ever thinking of um yeah it was a very um what was it i guess grounding or it, you know it made me conscious of of certainly more around me um by having to do that that's not a question sorry i've just gone on a sort of random waffle there mm-hmm. <laughs> but i'd i'd love to comment yeah please um, I love talking about compost toilets. <laughs> Good, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's part of our basic induction on a course. Um, I love the slight rolling of eyes when I actively um, welcome contributions um, from participants and they, and they get that um, we are actively harvesting the urine. Our compost toilet works um, we invite participants to separate liquids from mm-hmm. solids, is she putting it delicately? So we have two buckets, which in itself is a big education because a lot of people have never come across this system. Yeah. Um, but it keeps the liquids separate uh, and um, gives us two very potent um, forms of fertilizer. We have our, our compost toilet is signed off by building regs and we have agreed with them that we keep the solids, the contents of the solids bucket um, to mature for two years. Um, and then we we feed it to the fruit trees. Um, so that that's a system that works really, really well for us. And as I said earlier, we actively welcome contributions. <laughs> that's excellent. Um so I've got written down here, uh, like why, why are you being so sort of dedicated to, uh, the heritage, uh, aspect and, and doing it like for like, what's, what's the draw there? Because it, we're doing it like for like, because it gives us so many valuable learning opportunities. Our ancestors, didn't have the convenience of of modern tools they had an awareness of what they were working with and I really wanted to show that it was it was possible when when we started I was told that there wasn't enough oak in East Anglia and they would have to import it and I do like a challenge um, since then I think I have proved that there is oak it may not be the top quality oak, but then our ancestors maybe either didn't use the best quality all the time. They probably used small dimension trees. Um, so I've lost my thread a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like for light. Because, because we're learning from the building. And especially with the longhouse, we're reinstating what was there. We've got enough evidence to show what was there and the timbers is the same size and the repaired timbers will go back in the same place and it makes a lot of environmental sense to be doing it that way yeah absolutely. and teaching us a lot that's yeah it's it's such a shame that uh we have to be sort of relearning these skills rather than uh having them you know passed on oh. Um, but it's great that people like you are, are doing doing these things to to bring them back. There is a resurgence mm. in Wattle and Daub. I'm seeing more and more. In fact, I'm teaching a course tomorrow in Wattle and Daub. I'm seeing a lot of people wanting to reinstate their Wattle and Daub. Great. And a lot of people really interested in clay lump block making and clay render. And all of these, you know, you can potentially, if you live in a clay-rich area, you can dig yourself for free, or you can use some of that wonderful builder's waste, the, the clay that they want to get rid of. It's all building material. Yeah. And it deserves a second life or a third. Actually, you can reuse it forever. Yeah, 
the the infinite lives of clay indeed <laughs> um while you were speaking uh, i about the the like for like it it put into my mind um the the sort of japanese temples and i've i haven't checked out the uh the truthfulness of this actually but um i was told that every maybe 500 years 300 years uh the temples are pulled down and then built in exactly the same way using the same hand tools using the same you know everything about it is recreated in the same way using the same trees from the same patch and the same lime from the same uh you know pit and and in that way they are that's how they they would do a, a restoration of a building so instead of sort of keeping one building up and then patching it and saying it's you know a thousand years old they you know it might have been rebuilt twice or three times but they'd still call it a thousand year old building uh, i really like that and i like the the parallel with what you're doing and it's um well these buildings can be taken apart and virtually every last bit can be reused time and time again mm. i like that level of recyclability in fact there are there are components in the main barn that have been reused several times it's a really good example of our ancestors um reusing being being very thrifty and reusing timbers that maybe were redundant from another building mm -hmm. so uh i wanted to ask you a little bit about your your volunteers so you've got courses that run and that's a, a paid thing people can pay and come and learn a skill indeed yep we have professional courses and we're able to offer continuing professional development which is um, with the Institute, Institute for Historic Building Conservation. So we can give you know, architect who has to do annual CPD, we can give them their attendance certificate. And um, we're going to be doing far more of those. But we also run hobby courses. Okay. And we run community courses. And all of this is underpinned by a really wonderful group of volunteers, local volunteers, and some people who come a bit further, who... You know, really support what we're doing and enable those courses to be happening. It's the volunteers who do the behind the scenes work. It's the volunteers who tend the garden and the polytunnel and who are currently excavating the footings of the other half of the longhouse because we, we haven't quite got to the other half yet. Mm -hmm. So the volunteers are absolutely brilliant. Yep, it is a volunteer run project. Great. I've really, I, I've been working for a social enterprise for about six months now. And the, the value in that volunteering uh, opportunity just every day grows and grows in me. And I see just how much it means to volunteers, just how much it means well, to the whole, the whole organization um, and to see people grow and to see people like, happy and social uh yeah, I can't really imagine it uh, an organisation without it at the moment. It's a real melting pot, and because it's so local, people people get to meet each other here. It's a meeting place, and there's a lot of there's a lot of news that gets shared over tea breaks. There's a lot of support of each other, and especially this year, it's been quite a challenging year all around. <laughs> So we are we're looking forward to inviting a lot of volunteers back who perhaps have not made it back yet, mm -hmm. and got some exciting projects ahead of us. Nice. What sort of things? What are the what are the big draws? Well, during lockdown, we were able to go through our tool shed and renovate and sharpen, and only have tools in there that are fit for purpose. So I'm really pleased with that and. There's a, there's a little way to go, so that's drawing some, some people back. Mm -hmm. We need to be building an apple store. We, we are in one and a half acres of old orchard, and there's some beautiful apples we need to store so we can be sharing them throughout the winter. And the longhouse, there's a lot of work to be doing there. There's a lot of involvement that people can come and get involved in, Rothman Daub and framing. 
and I need to talk with you about our beaten earth floor sometime. Oh, so that's, yes, that's please. That's on the horizon as well. Excellent. <laughs> I'm very excited for that one. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was your masonry heater. Mm, we we ran a course last year and we built our masonry heater out of clay lump blocks because, hey, you know, you can, we can. Yeah. And well, just go, go back a step, maybe for the people listening mm. that don't know what a masonry heater is, could you describe? It's a big stove that's designed to heat up and stay warm and become one big hot water bottle. <laughs> I haven't described it very well. I'm sure you can do better. Uh, what is it? I mean, it's it's sort of uh, if you imagine a, a conventional wood stove, but with with lots and lots of mass around it, which heats up and stores that heat. Um, but it also it traps all the heat that's coming out of the the, the flue as well. Um, and then why is that good? It's good because uh, if you just heat a room. So you're heating the air in a room, then uh, the air can escape down, you know, drafty cracks or, you know, if someone opens the door, it escapes. Whereas if it's stored in the mass, then uh, it actually just sort of radiates out into the room very gently over the day. Um, so, yeah, very, very efficient um, way of, of heating a space. That's a very good description. <laughs> um, we, we fire ours up every morning. And it just builds up in heat. And given that the barn is still largely a barn, um, it is a bit drafty in places. So it is about you know that thermal mass mm-hmm. and being a nice warm place to come and go from. And it's got a little oven, so we can heat things in it. Um, Lovely. Oh, I'm I'm so glad to hear that it's it, it's performing because I've I've do you know what I've built one. Uh, I've never experienced actually how it how it feels to to live with one um it's still quite new for us i'm looking forward to this winter when i'll be able to because i'm now living on site temporarily i will be able to fire it up first thing each morning in a more reliable way than when i was living in the adjacent parish so yeah looking forward to that. so you said it's um clay lump is that internally as well? There's no um, no refractory bricks or anything like that? No, there are some very expensive refractory bricks okay. on the inside and the external structure is clay lump and we've used a clay render uh-huh. over the top of that. And we've got, it's got two seats either side. Oh, um, best seats in the house. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know... Um, I think we might have come to the end of my questions. Um, was there anything particularly you wanted to talk about? Anything that you feel is sort of, you know, that the, the crux of Orchard Barn or what you think people might like to, to hear about? I'd like to tell you about the shingle roofs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Tell me about the shingle roofs. Our main barn has 20,000 hand-cleft oak shingles on it. Crikey. That were made by 70 volunteers over a period of nine months and I like to think that you know during that nine months we birthed a roof or at least it felt like (laughs) it was the most amazing thing I've ever done I love being on a roof and um, it was my reason for getting up I was was my main reason for getting up each morning was to go and fit a few more shingles on the oak roof and since then and since then we've done a sweet chestnut roof and i have to say sweet chestnut is much easier to work and i'm really looking forward to when we get to the roof of the longhouse because guess what that's going to be a shingle roof as well (laughs) and uh, i'm really looking forward to to that roof chestnut again that will be sweet chestnut and i shall be a little bit more careful and picky about which logs i select i'm only going to use the best straight grain logs for that one yeah so what what was your your big learning from before then that sort of not knots and and wobbly wood is is not good in indeed yes Uh if you get some nice 
straight grain sweet chestnut. It just um, it just cleaves a complete and utter treat and will be flat and much easier to fit. The oak roof, we used a lot of slightly wobbly timber. It works as a roof, it's absolutely fine, but we learned a lot about timber selection uh, by doing it. Yeah, by doing the, the valuable, uh, you know, learn what you don't like uh, and that will inform what you do like. And where, where's your, your chestnut coming from? Is that a local timber? It is a local timber. We're not actually in uh, a chestnut growing area, so it could come possibly okay. 20 miles. Most of our timber comes from within 10 miles. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's still uh, a very a positive uh, improvement on, on certainly most, most buildings. Well, I like to think I know, I know where each of the timbers in the longhouse and in yeah. the barn have come from. And I could tell you the story about who who worked on them, and uh, what their learning was, what they do now. You know, it's really about building that level of community development and and skills and people progressing into quite often different way of life as a result of being here. Yeah, I bet it must be um, for some people. It must be quite a, a shock to to come and and be in such a you know, a natural, holistic place. I think that people, when people walk through the gate, they realise they're walking into a different time zone. And you can almost see people relax during the course of their of their day or their week with us. And so, you know, the yoga that I used to teach, it's still, it's still integral to our approach to helping people reconnect with themselves mm-hmm. and what they're and what they're about yeah so do do all the people that that come through the the door are they greeted with a, a yoga uh session <laughs> uh no they're not i may add some you know, shoulder rotations or wrist rotations or a little gentle stretch in here and there mm-hmm. i probably don't call it yoga i just call it body maintenance yes Excellent. That's something I uh, implemented sort of gradually uh, throughout the, the builds I was doing with Heartwind. Uh, at first, it was sort of an optional, and then uh, it became, you know, 20 minutes every morning, we are going to stretch and we're going to warm our bodies up. Um, and I think it, it, I mean, it's one of those things that I think gets shoved out of the way uh when sort of speed and profit and uh you know going quickly are are the prime focuses but when you you're going slowly and and sort of being much more mindful and connected you're connected to yourself as well and you want to look after yourself it's it's the people care that's so important in permaculture Mm. and it comes through in the break times and we have mini sort of debrief sessions to find out how people are and and that's that's again another way of people connecting with people yeah through project lovely Um, so i think my my final question for you would be um just what's the what's the best thing what's the maybe yeah just what's the best thing about orchard barn the people, the people who walk through the gate have such amazing projects that they're running. They've got so many stories to tell and it's a real joy to meet each and every one of them. And it's a sharing, it's a sharing of what they have already, their life experience and, and what we have to offer. And so it's, it's a lovely melding of experiences and there's always so much more than the sum total of the people who, who are here. So it's got to be the people. Love the people. Great. You are building community. I think that's a, a really wonderful thing, um, as well as all the other you know, uh, additions to, to civilization that you're making. <laughs> I bet it's, um, it's been, uh, well, I bet it's had its highs and lows over the years. A lot of a lot of organisation and a lot of work. 
its organisation, its work, but it's also the willingness of the volunteers to really bring things together. And I really appreciate all of their help. I couldn't do I could it wouldn't be the project that it is without all of the volunteers yeah. over the years. Excellent. Um great, Sarah, that's I mean that's uh, a wonderful overview. Where can people find out more information about about what's going on or maybe how they could get involved? Okay, so we've got a website which is orchardbarn.org.uk and from there we have a Twitter feed, we have a Facebook presence. And increasingly, we have an Instagram feed. So social media, email, phone, or drop in when the gates open. Lovely. And what what are the the courses that people can come and uh, learn? We do a timber frame restoration skills course, Mm -hmm. which is timber frame repairs, lime, why all buildings get damp, how to remedy it, and and earthen buildings. So that's that's a really good package for homeowners and professionals. Um, uh, I teach wattle and daub. We have green woodworking. Gemma does some amazing lime plaster courses. There, there are more, but my mind has gone blank. <laughs> Check out the website. Indeed. Excellent. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, Jeffrey. It's been a real treat talking with you. Thank oh, you. Likewise. so much to sarah for being such a wonderful guest and for creating that very worthwhile project of orchard barn it really does solve so many issues and promotes uh, just great ways of life uh quick reminder again that if this was your first episode and you've enjoyed it then you can subscribe and hear the other episodes you can also if you've had a great time you can leave a review we've got this review that's come in that said This is a fantastic podcast and a treat to listen to. I've been working with wood slash greenwood since my teens, 52 now, and this has been a breath of fresh air. Really enjoyed the Dave Cockcroft Barn the Spoon episodes, but I found myself listening to the others. And as a result, I'm looking into the subject of green building with new eyes. Keep up the good work and thanks. Thank you for that feedback. Quick reminder that uh, you can support this podcast uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. Uh, there's some extra bonus audio and other stuff on there. And yeah, keep the, the feedback coming in. Um, it's really lovely that people send me messages and let me know how much they're enjoying. The feedback really does. It makes it, it feel uh, worthwhile what I'm uh, putting all my time towards. So thank you for that. I also wanted to say you can check out uh, my work at jeffreythenaturalbuilder.com or on social media uh, if you search for Jeffrey the Natural Builder. That's Jeffrey with a J. So thank you very much again for listening. Thank you for the feedback. Have a wonderful day, whatever it is you're doing. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.